Hello, this is Criterion Cast, episode 182. I'm David Blakesley, here to host tonight's podcast discussion of George Stevens' production of Woman of the Year. I'm joined by Trevor Barrett. Good evening, Trevor. Good evening, David. Here we are again. I'm yes, glad to see are. you've, you've uh, recovered from Picnic at Hanging Rock. Yeah, yeah, I found my way back home, <laughs> and uh, we are we are getting back with it with another main episode here. Our pace has absolutely slowed down a little bit. Uh, we did our best of 2016 recap uh, back in January. We recorded a picnic at Hanging Rock right around Valentine's Day, and I know it took us a little bit of time to get it out there online. And then we went a little bit quiet on the main episode front for a while. But I think it's time for us to pick up the pace. What do you think? Yeah, we're we're ready. We've got a lot we should, of things uh, kind of going. make a little more frequent habit of this, Trevor. <laughs> I, I love these episodes. We, we've been busy on other things, but I love these episodes. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I think these main episodes are definitely uh, something we want to keep in the mix. There, of course, you and I are uh, plugging away on the Eclipse Viewer. Uh, and of course, Aaron's keeping us very frequently updated with the Criterion now, and a few other odds and ends that sneak in there. But we do like the main episodes where we get a chance to just kind of delve into a Criterion release. And we are looking at one of the more recent titles to uh, hit the shelves. Uh, this is spine number six hundred or eight hundred and sixty-seven, eight six seven. And as we do in these episodes, I'm going to go ahead and read the box description of the film to kind of give us a little uh, Criterion-approved capsule and author uh, summary of of the film. So, George Stevens' Woman of the Year conceived to build on the smashing comeback Catherine Hepburn had made in the Philadelphia story marked the beginning of the personal and professional union between Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, who would go on to make eight more films together. This tale of two newspaper reporters who wed and then discover that their careers aren't so compatible forges a fresh and realistic vision of what marriage can be. The freewheeling but pinpoint sharp screenplay by Ring Lardner Jr. and Michael Kanan won an Academy Award and Hepburn received a nomination for her performance. Woman of the Year is a dazzling, funny, and rueful observation of what it takes for men and women to get along, both in the workplace and outside of it. So, what do you think? Is this uh, is this criterion worthy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. To get I'll a little obnoxious here, yes. Okay. I, I will well, give that a, a resounding yes. Um, absolutely. I have problems with the film itself, but what they've done with it um, has just – they make it criterion worthy. I'll just say oh, yeah. that. Yeah, I think this is a very uh, definitive presentation of the film and the key elements that, uh, you know, make it a significant, uh, important, uh, fascinating, and and, and really, uh, uh, to me, a very thought-provoking film on a number of levels. So, you know, I know you wrote about it in your Mooks and Gripes blog, and I know Josh Brunsting covered it for our website and the links to both of those essays are in our show notes, so I do invite listeners to check out uh, what uh, Josh and Trevor had to say in the print format. But Trevor, I'm kind of interested just kind of in hearing some of your you know, uh, opening thoughts as we kind of dig into this one here. What do you think stood out to you about the film, and uh, how do we want to get this conversation rolling? Ooh, all right. 
Um, so this, we got to start where, where everyone would start with this film, I think. And that's that it's the very first film starring both Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy together. Um, they both had careers for, you know, a decade and, or or more, uh, before the, they had this opportunity to work together. Um, and this just began one of those beautiful friendships that was more than a friendship, of course, and a beautiful professional career that, that spanned nine films. Um, they were romantic partners for, for 25 years after this, up until Spencer Tracy's death. And, um, you know, their final picture together, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner in 1967. Um, I, it, it's important for, for that reason. You know, this is, a, this is an iconic, um, ho- classic Hollywood uh, relationship that ha- is a fascinating uh, area to explore in and of itself, and so yeah, wh- I think we we can start right there with uh, with these two stars. I mean, I, I will admit uh, as we get on, um, we'll want to talk about George Stevens. You know, we'll want to oh, yeah. talk about a lot of other parts of it, but but I think for most of us, you know, coming into to film. Um, the, the, these two are these two actors and their relationship. I think are are known beyond uh, beyond film lovers. <laughs> you know, my parents know about uh, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn, and I don't even know if they've ever seen one of their movies. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they they definitely transcended the actual performances. Although, of course, the performances, the you know, the art of film and and the characterizations that they you know kind of epitomized as this as this. Uh, you know, on the surface of it, perhaps not the most uh, ideally suited couple for each other, uh, especially in character. Spencer Tracy, the, you know, the prototypical man's man, uh, just kind of a plain spoken, regular fella. But, you know, uh, but but solid. You know, he, he's not he's not a goof. He's not a schlub. He's he's a he's a man with wits about him, but he's not highly educated. He's, uh, you know, just a, a regular guy with a, a kind of an all-American attitude, a little, you know, a little brassy, a little tough at times. But he's got a heart of gold and all that. And then there's Catherine Hepburn, tall, elegant, intelligent, talented, uh, forthright, independent thinking. Uh, you know, sophisticated lady, uh, but she's got a good look to her. Um, and, uh, you know, you'd, you'd think, you know, they, 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 I think they find a certain challenge in each other. Or it's certainly just a, a real basic appeal that comes through from really the, the first minute they lay, lay eyes on each other in the film. And of course there is that real life backstory and the kind of, you know, ups and downs, the ins and outs of the films that they, made together as they aged and as America kind of grew and uh, evolved as a society along with them. They were there for a very pivotal period of our country's history and really forged, uh, you know, quite a path for themselves and for the, you know, the, uh, you know, just kind of the overall uh, course of American entertainment and, and what it signified not only to this country, but, uh, to to fans all around the world. So yeah, Tracy and Hepburn they are very nicely portrayed right on the cover of this DVD, uh, which or, and Blu-ray, which uh, kind of you know it just captures the essence of the film in a nutshell. Here she is up on her podium, chin high, you know, kind of a little slightly condescending gaze as she's speaking into the mics to her international audience, and there's Spencer Tracy. 
a little bit lower in stature, but uh, his chin held high as well. They're they're matching wits with each other. He's got his little baseball bat tucked behind his back, and uh, and and the game is on. So yes, Tracy and, and Hepburn uh, kind of getting things started. I don't think either of them, you know, at this point could have envisioned what their relationship would evolve into, uh, what it would mean in in kind of the annals of cinema. Uh, what a fixture they became in the popular culture. But yeah, you're right. This is a it's a huge selling point. And I think uh, another thing that kind of stood out to me was uh, as as I uh, was coming up to you know think about what we would do for a, another episode. Uh, I actually was fortunate enough uh, to get a, re- a review copy of this disc uh, from from the Criterion cast. We kind of do a little monthly uh, lottery, I guess, if you will. And I specifically asked to review this disc. Um, Anybody who's kind of paid attention to the discs that I've reviewed on the site this uh, in the first part of this year might notice a little bit of a trend. I did the um, His Girl Friday review in January uh, with Rosalind Russell, and then I did the Mildred Pierce review uh, that came out a couple months later with uh, Joan Crawford in uh, in her first Criterion release. Uh, so we've currently got three iconic leading ladies of Hollywood's golden age each getting very high-profile releases from the Criterion Collection as we kind of get the first uh, quarter of uh, of 2017 under our belts. And uh, this is actually the second Catherine Hepburn film, uh, the first one being a very, you know, almost moldy-oldy at this point, uh, yeah. David Lean's Summertime, <laughs> the subject of a bit of... Uh, speculation, yeah, some, yeah, a bit of speculation, a little bit of griping as to why this one has not been upgraded to Blu-ray quite yet. And I must be, to me, it seemed more like just an elements issue. Uh, you know, it's a beautiful color film directed by David Lean, really taking full advantage of the the Venetian setting. Uh, but that's Catherine Hepburn a little bit later on in life as she's transitioning into uh, kind of middle age and and the role that she. Uh, has cast for her in summertime really is, you know, kind of you know geared toward where she at, where she's at uh, in this stage of life. Here we've got a younger Catherine Hepburn, uh, very sexy, very beautiful, and really in her prime, and uh, that's that's a nice selling point there. But yeah, as, as, as we've seen, Criterion kind of reaching into some territory that they haven't really explored quite a bit of. And I'm, I'm talking about the real, you know cream of the crop Hollywood uh, female stars of, of this of this classic era probably uh, Betty Davis would be the next one to kind of uh, find an entry point if they can manage to pry one of her uh, iconic roles from the studios there but uh, yeah this this was a real nice treat for for me to see sort of a new side of Catherine Hepburn I've not seen this film before and then Spencer Tracy this is also his second criterion entry. Uh, the other one being uh, him in uh, a pretty prominent role in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Uh, again, he's much more advanced in age at that point, uh, and he's kind of playing off that iconic character that he's formed over the years. This is not necessarily his first starring role, but uh, one that really kind of launched his career to a whole new level as well. Yeah. Well, I'm very curious to hear, you know, I know that this has intrigued you, uh, this oh, yeah. this, re- yeah. this release, I, I can't wait to get into our discussion about it a little sure. bit more, um, because 
I have problems with a lot of um, the Catherine Hepburn slash Spencer Tracy films that I've seen. Uh, they they are ostensibly progressive. You know, there's something mm-hmm. about them that says, "Hey, this is this is provocative and going to going to encroach on some social ground that needs to needs to be addressed." But they always seem to do it in a way that I find uh, not not that great i guess you know all the way to the end of their career with guess who's coming to dinner i i really don't like that movie um right and woman of the year is is similar you know but there's a great story behind that um i i have major issues with where this film goes and kind of how it presents these characters that are certainly you know because of where the times we live in now um you know that's it's it's not the times they were back in in the early 1940s um, when uh, a a woman, you know, having a strong professional career, trying to also manage a d- domestic life, you know, that was that was quite a, a taboo thing. Um, and this film is addressing it, and certainly not in a way that would be would be well received today. Um, and, and not in a way that I think is very is very good actually. Even if we take away all of that, but um, but it, it it is a fascinating movie. Still, uh, there's so much to talk about. Um, so if you don't mind, I'll just say yeah. I'll just say I don't I don't like Woman of the Year as a <laughs> okay, as a film. I'll just okay. I'll jump out just, now. Uh, I, I'm going to say that, and then I want to soften it because sure. it still is fascinating. And I will say uh, without softening it. This is a fantastic Criterion edition. Um, it's important. Uh, it, it really doesn't matter, I don't think, if you don't like where the movie goes or or even if you don't particularly like Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy. Find, you know, Spencer Tracy is always a little bit too, uh, you know, uh, too gruff and uppity uh, as, as an actor for me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if any of that matters because the package they put together is, is so phenomenal. Um, and, and again, just the... The time period that we're looking at, the issues that it raises, even if it doesn't address them in a way that we we like, are still important and and still going to lead to I think um, some really good conversations. So, yeah. I, you know, we'll, I've laid my cards out on the table, David. Um, let, let's okay. Well, let's, <laughs> let's see what, where we get with the sure. With my, well, uh, this movie's dumb. You know, I don't really feel that way, but but um, no. I, well, I, I okay. I I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I I definitely I understand. I've read your review. I I know where you're going with some of your objections, and the ending is is problematic to to say the least, and and controversial. However, uh, I I just view this film and and uh, subsequently the work of George Stevens, which I've really kind of uh, dove deep into at least a deep dive over the course of a fairly condensed period of time as a result of watching this film. So let's bring George Stevens into the conversation because uh, I'll just, I'll, you know, I'll lay my cards out as well. Even though I had seen some George Stevens movies and had sort of vaguely been aware of, of the name, I really had not come to grips with the significance of who George Stevens was, uh, what he accomplished in film and what an incredibly fascinating career he had uh, as a as a director uh, coming up through this kind of pivotal era in the evolution of cinema. I mean, if you'd have asked me kind of cold, who's George Stevens? I might have said hey, he's the name of a father figure in some generic 
50s sitcom, you know, it's like George <laughs> Stevens who, whatever, you know. But this guy, um, really, uh, I, I am just so deeply intrigued. Uh, I'm really just eager to see as many of his films as I can get my hands on even going forward from here just and and this kind of started right before I got the uh woman of the year disc sent to me uh I was listening to I think it was an NPR fresh air or something like that uh where they were just kind of flipping around the dial one day and they were talking about the Netflix series 5 came back this little three part mini series based on a book that I know you've read a while ago Trevor and mm-hmm. and it's about five directors uh John Ford John Huston, William Wyler, Frank Capra, and oh yeah, this George Stevens guy. Uh, five famous Hollywood directors who all voluntarily enlisted in the the effort to, uh, you know, basically, you know, win World War II and to use their unique skill set to uh, document the war and uh, and just get behind what America was trying to do as they uh, aligned themselves with the British and. And uh, you know, fought back the Nazis and the, the Japanese uh, armies, and and uh, you know, and and ultimately did prevail. Uh, but these men each had very life changing experiences. They were all pretty unique and uh, capable individuals beforehand who had already done pretty incredible work. But the war experience really just changed each of their lives and brought new shadows of depth and meaning and intensity, if you will, to uh, into their art. And the story of George Stevens just particularly uh, captured my attention, probably because I was the least familiar with his saga uh, of the other figures. Not that I'm a great expert on, say, like a William Wyler. And, and all these guys really had fantastic tales. But the, that, that Netflix series really did kind of galvanize my attention. And then you know, part of what you were saying, Trevor, about the quality and the importance of this disc as a package is that it does offer uh, much more context about the life of George Stevens. And this guy, I mean, I just got some notes that I've put together uh, for people who are not yet familiar, or maybe even those who are, just to just kind of put this put this sequence together. The guy comes up as a cameraman working on the films of Laurel and Hardy. Okay, he kind of has a kind of a relationship with Catherine Hepburn. She she kind of launches her career, and he launches his with a film called Alice Adams, which I've had a chance to view uh, over the past weekend. Uh, the success of that film uh, kind of gets him opportunities to work with many of the great stars of Hollywood's golden age: Barbara Stanwyck, Cary Grant, George Burns, Gracie Allen, Jimmy Stewart, Carol Lombard, and of course, uh, two films that he's quite famous for. Uh, Swing Times, featuring Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, regarded by many as their greatest, in, you know, film. Uh, maybe Top Hat is a good rival to that, but you know, Swing Time, pretty, pretty incredible uh, dance film, uh, Hollywood musical. Of course, then he helps launch the uh, the pairing of T- uh, Tracy and Hepburn that we've already talked about. Uh, he does a pretty uh, rip roaring adventure film, Gunga Din, which I saw years ago. Would love to watch that again with all this kind of newly acquired knowledge uh, to really appreciate that. <clears throat> then he gets into World War II and is involved in filming the D-Day invasion, the German withdrawal from Paris, the discovery of the Dachau concentration extermination camps, and he happens to film the only color footage of the entire war that's fought in Europe during World War II. 
this individual has already had that journey in life. Then he goes ahead and makes some other pretty magnificent films, A Place in the <laughs> Sun, Shane, Giant, you know, James Dean's final role, one of his most iconic performances in an all-too-brief career, not to mention Elizabeth Taylor, Montgomery Cliff, Rock Hudson, I mean, other great stars of that era. And then he goes from there and he does The Diary of Anne Frank, you know, a saintly modern 20th century figure, capping his career with Max von Sydow cast as Jesus Christ in a three-and-a-half-hour epic on the Gospels, the greatest story ever told, and then finally wrapping it up kind of on a minor note, uh, casting Warren Beatty and Elizabeth Taylor, uh, kind of two pivotal stars of two successive generations of, of American cinema as kind of washed-out lovers in a Las Vegas uh, you know, setting there uh, with the only game in town. <sighs> That is a pretty impressive and, you know, just fantastic journey through culture and history uh, for one man in one lifetime. Uh, so, you know, just just that that thread of connectivity from Laurel Hardy to <laughs> Jesus Christ and Max von Sydow and Anne Frank and all of that and everything in between. That's that's just that's just quite a, an amazing life that a guy's lived, and it just made me really intrigued to say who is this guy, and how did he manage to get himself into all those different places, and just have such a an impact, and at the same time be relatively not anonymous. I mean, he's he's a known name, but he still doesn't seem to have that kind of towering reputation of personality as like a John Ford or even a John Houston who, uh, you know, uh, some of those other directors that he was affiliated with in this five came back. So, Trevor, give me some of your thoughts on, on George Stevens. Uh, you've seen some of those movies, but uh, what, what impressed you about him from watching some of these supplements on this disc? Well, I'm curious how, how sim you know, our experiences are fairly similar. I'm curious how they fit in with the general uh, movie-going audience because – I had seen Shane. I, you know, saw that when I was really little. Might be one of the first movies I ever saw that I can remember. I, I've seen Giant and A Place in the Sun and Gunga Din and The Diary of Anne Frank and The Greatest Story Ever Told. And I never, ever picked up on the the thread that these were all directed by a fellow named George Stevens. Exactly. Um, he he sort of recedes in into the background yeah. as a as a creative force now. You know, you get into the storytelling and the people who knew him, and of course, this documentary produced by George Stevens Jr., his son, uh, George Stevens, a filmmaker's journey, is is really was 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 quite an eye opening experience for me, and I've kind of recapitulated much of what's in that documentary in my little narrative just now. Although uh, that that documentary does not mention the last film that he made, The Only Game in Town, it's almost like uh, the Sun didn't really want to get into that little uh, tawdry semi-flop of a film, which uh, I recently got on a Twilight Time Blu-ray, uh, and I've only had a chance to sample that. But it does seem very fascinating as a text, uh, whether it was intentionally George Stevens' last film or not. You know, he died about five years later. Uh, I, I don't really know. Maybe nobody does. But it's very interesting uh, like I say, kind of a low-key note to go out on. But after you've done, you know, three and a half hours uh, of the life of Christ with, 
you know, a, the proverbial all-star cast and, you know, huge cost overruns yeah. and all of that, what do you do as a follow-up, right? He, he'd kind of fallen out of tempo with the times. Uh, the culture and the society and the film industry had moved on uh, into areas that he really couldn't keep up. And so it's kind of amazing that he did actually do this one last production. But, uh, you know, we'll maybe talk about that some other way or some other time when I have a chance to get more familiar with what actually happens in that film. But, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, well, I, I wonder if it is because of all the stars that he directed. You know, every single film that I mentioned in my list, you you know it for other reasons than the director right. behind it. It's not, this they're is not star Bergman. vehicles, right. You know, right. As, as famous as Bergman's actors are, they're they're fairly distinct, but but with with George Stevens, uh, when when Mark Harris's book uh, Five came back uh, came out, and I I bought it because I loved his uh, Pictures of the Revolution, which has a, a really nice long um, take on Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, and their final film Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. So you know another well people should just Mark Harris should should do this episode. Um, really, <laughs> he's got yeah, a yeah. lot of and that I, information. And it's a but, great recommendation, the Picture of the Revolution. I've listened to the audio book, and it really does get into that real pivotal year or two of, of uh, the transition from the old to the new Hollywood. Yeah, but I never knew who George Stevens was, really. And so when I when I got the the book and, and looked at the names of the directors, I, I'm embarrassed to say I thought, well, who's – Who's this George Stevens guy? I don't even I don't even know who that <laughs> yeah. is. But you're right. There's a fascinating story there that I don't know why it's not told more broadly in mm-hmm. in cinematic circles. I th- I think you and I, you know, I, I know that we're not like uh, film school grads and and all, but but we hang out with a lot of people who are, <laughs> and they right. don't talk about right. these things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, and I think I think part of it is you know I've never been probably until more recent years as as big of a fan of classic hollywood as i have of more like international cinema or sci-fi or cult films or things of that sort but i guess i'll go to my basic thesis here with with this film is i i I see george stevens as almost even maybe more than john ford a quintessentially american director and what i mean by that is kind of that strong silent type a guy with you know uh, honorable intentions, but a fair amount of blind spots. I think. I think what I what I get from watching. I, I watched uh, Alice Adams. I watched Swing Time. I watched Woman of the Year. Obviously, I watched The More the Merrier. I watched Giant, and um, and I, I've been sampling a lot of clips, and of course, watching the documentary uh, of a lot of other films, and. What I see in these films is a guy, you know, you, you talked earlier about sort of the progressive intentions of the Tracy and Hepburn, and, and they represent kind of a, a, a broader-minded set of values. But And I think George Stevens would be in that same camp. Uh, he, like the other guys in, uh, you know, Five Came Back, all kind of not, you know, I mean, Capra maybe coming from a more right wing perspective, maybe even John Ford a little bit, um, but or or Weiler, one of those two, I think, was a little bit more on the conservative side. But but they all basically were humanists who, who really wanted equality and and to share the American dream uh, across across all races and and you know thinking of a of a more egalitarian approach to American society than perhaps what might have been 
regarded on the other side. And of course, in the fight against fascism and all of that, you know, and, and supporting President Roosevelt and, and the American values as they were captured and epitomized at that time, you, you get what I think spur, certainly in today's uh, political context feels more like a progressive uh, point of view. But there's still a lot of unchecked, um, you, know, ra- you know, casual racism, sometimes for even humorous effect. I mean, other than, I mean, even beyond the the gender roles issues, there's there's some scenes early on in Woman of the Year that just kind of rankle so the sensibilities where, where uh, you know, Sam Craig, the Spencer Tracy character, goes to this party and he's seeing all these people who speak other languages and he's kind of giving them the old goggle eye like, you know, I'm a regular American guy. Why can't these people just straighten up and speak English? And the, <laughs> he says, you know, you're – and then the – and then the uh, the – Probably, uh, you know, an Indian or, or somebody from the, you know, Southern Asia, you know, the guy with the turban on his head. And he, you know, he, all he can say is yes. And, 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 and Craig's line is, yeah, you're a funny looking little jerk with that towel on your head. And that's supposed to be like kind of a laugh line for the audience. And then there's the other scene where he's walking out reading the Chinese newspaper and he's doing that ching chong wong mong thing. And, and again, those are, those are laugh lines for an American audience of regular fellas and their wives uh that you know it, it it's just kind of ludicrous and, and kind of crass um uh but it's all in keeping with kind of this uh, american consciousness or mentality that's trying to do the right thing but not quite aware of it just how steeped in in racism and white privilege and things like that it really is so yeah. that's one of my, my my basic takes on these films and on george stevens all the way around he, he wants to do the right thing but uh he, you know there there's areas where he's really just blind to some of his own biases yeah i agree with you and and i guess we can we can start where the film starts woman of the year sure. <laughs> um begins with sam craig sitting in a bar you know listening to the radio with just this look of disgust on his face it it's a it's a it is and it's funny i, I like i it like really his is. look yeah. there um yeah. i i was like oh that that's actually pretty nice and what he's disgusted at is tess harding the katherine hepburn character is on the radio saying that you know there's a war going on um wh- why are we so obsessed with things like baseball and for sam craig's character he's like that's why we're at war it's our American it, way of life. It's yeah. the way that we are living. We are there to protect um, the the game of baseball. We should be out there enjoying this to the fullest. And and the the thing that that doesn't necessarily bother me a ton. Um, but the film begins couching Sam Craig, you know, the Spencer Tracy character, as the more reasonable, down to earth fellow. Where Tess Harding, with all of her aspirations, is a little bit high in the sky and needs to be brought down to earth. I mean, that, yeah. that's not how it, it doesn't begin by bringing her down to earth. That does happen in, in this film. And, it, and that's where it really becomes kind of like, come on, guys, this woman doesn't need to have her comeuppance. And, and, and I can get around a lot of that by saying, hey, it's a portrait of, of one marriage. You know, this is surely how it is for some people. <laughs> yeah, and um, it's a relic of its times. But yes. you're right; it is. It is. It sets a tone and a standard, if you will, about 
how relationships, you know, kind of ought to be managed. I mean, there is kind of that cultural mandate that that <laughs> comes from the, you know, the, I don't know, the seal of approval. I mean, Hepburn and Tracy are such, you know, charismatic figures that they do become that sort of template, that role model for how marriages between, you know, kind of self-respecting, uh, tough but sentimentally vulnerable men and, you know, they're kind of high-toned, smart women, uh, but, you know, everybody's got to kind of bring it <laughs> bring it towards the middle a little bit there and, and, and well, keep things in balance. That's the perspective there. So let, let me ask you this, though, because a lot of the, the press materials, uh, both surrounding the Criterion release and the release of the movie at its time, talk about them finding that their careers are not compatible. And mm-hmm. I don't see it that way. I mean, yeah, her career, yeah, uh, her yeah. career is, is part of the problem, but his isn't. It's not that his career is, is causing them issues. It, it's her. It's that she's busy. It's that she um, can't be home to fix him dinner at night. It's it's her career that is the problem. And so I don't see it as a bringing them together in the middle so much as, you know, and, and Sam Craig gets gets kind of the uh, the wise adage at the end of, I want both that Tess Harding and the Tess Harding who can be here with me at home. Why can't we have both? And so she's the one who has to kind of uh, put on a, a bunch of different roles. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, he's he's just kind of the wise person who who gets to gets to get upset, gets to be patient about it. Though he's he's not flying off the handle. He's not you right. know anything like that. He's but, handling it like a real man should, yes. you know. But, but he's still when a real it comes man. Time, He's exactly. going to watch her humiliate herself and then go in there to swoop her, swoop her up and comfort her and say, darling, it's okay. And it, it's, you know, that, that's, that's some problems that I have with, uh, with this uh, real man perspective as well for mm-hmm, the time. Mm-hmm. That, that, and again, it, it is a brilliant film for showing that. My problem with it is that it, it, it is a film that presents that as, as an ideal and as a solution. This is not an exploring this kind of relationship so much no. as it is teaching us how to get by in this world where women are starting to get um, more more freedom and, and more um, professional opportunities. Well, maybe allow them, but just make sure that they, they stay in their place too. We don't want a, a, a failure in the home because of, because of all this. Well, and let's look at when this film was released. This is like early 1942. I mean, the, the echoes of Pearl Harbor are still ringing in people's ear. I'm sure the film was probably in production before that happened, but you know these things were turned around pretty quickly, and I'm sure by the time it hit, you know, it hit the theaters, people understood, you know, we're at war and things are deadly serious. And uh, even even in uh, Tess Harding's first speech, you know, uh, she acknowledges this is a time when women, having won the right, and she doesn't say the right to vote, but that's what she's alluding to, uh, to be fully participating citizens, now have the opportunity to shoulder that responsibility to kind of pick up the slack and contribute more to the uh, the economy and and to the management of society than they had uh, prior to the war years, uh, because so many men were now, you know, off fighting and or were otherwise, you know, enlisted into some other kind of you know, military service or other duties that 
that created a need for more women to get into the workforce. So, so this film is very much, you know, it's got its pulse on things that were happening in that society. Uh, so it's, it's acknowledging the shifting of roles, but it's also kind of setting a limit as to how far that transformation uh, should be allowed to go in respectable society. And yeah. And, and, and even, even the attitude uh, towards, uh, 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 Tessa's male secretary, <laughs> who's a slightly effeminate and uh, demasculated character. Uh, Gerald is his name, and and some of the uh, daggers that uh, uh, you know Sam Craig is shooting his way when he stands as a bit of interference between Sam's access to his gal, <laughs> and I use the word gal intentionally. There, there is a very possessive uh, sense of privilege here about what is accorded to the man in the relationship as his natural you know right and expectation versus uh you know what is extended to the woman who i think even as intelligent and as forward thinking as as Catherine Hepburn is as a character uh she's portrayed as as you know clearly exceptional i mean she's almost you know too perfect too good yeah, to be true yeah. she speaks what five languages fluently she's informed she's well connected she's traveled the world uh sam i think he kind of lets slide somewhere he's had uh, he talks about his year in college when he used to bet on drinking well yeah his his year in college well there's no degrees awarded for one year in college so you know he dabbled in it got enough education to get himself a a sports writer's gig at the at the newspaper there and uh you know he's he's made a decent you know living for himself but uh, now it's time for him to bring a woman to heal a little bit yeah to, to the movie's credit Tess is an admirable character throughout oh, yeah, she just yeah. she just has a major blind spot when it comes to to her the the role of the man and what she's supposed to be doing for the man um and well and she's looking for a man who's who who can match up with her and i think there is that chemistry i think you mentioned that in your blog that they they really were in love and so there there's a real genuineness to that and i think that makes what might otherwise seem a pretty implausible relationship feel believable i mean if she really is this international you know high society politically connected is she really going to be interested in a beat writer for a newspaper? You know, I mean, uh, she's got she's got perhaps higher aspirations. You know, she might want to you know, find somebody more on her level intellectually. But you know, there there is a chemistry here, and so it becomes believable. But they really yeah, are it, com- coming from two different walks of life. It, it, it that's a remarkable part of the film. It, it would it, it's hard to imagine people who who aren't actually in love or even falling in love performing this movie the way that it should have been um and, and making it any kind of success and 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 any kind of plausibility because you can see them you know getting lost in each other as the oh, movie yeah. progresses and it, it's that's that's something else that's a, a, a really amazing part of the film yeah, and, and I don't want to throw Kath- that out. <laughs> well, for sure, for sure, and 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 that's the thing. They they are both really, you know, they're both consummate professionals. I mean, in the in the other uh, other documentary feature that kind of stands out as a supplement on this disc, the Spencer Tracy legacy, there are many really generous clips of Spencer Tracy doing his thing in a wide variety of roles that they're all kind of 
the common core is that they're all Spencer Tracy doing his thing uh, from a young man yeah. to an old man. <laughs> I mean, he, he's not the kind of chameleon like character who just, you know, disappears into his roles. He, he's always Spencer Tracy doing what Spencer, Tracy is, but what he does is, is powerful and effective. I mean, he's, he's got a commanding presence and he barks out his lines, but they feel natural. They're not hammy in the slightest, you know? And so there's an incredible talent there. And Catherine Hepburn, I mean, what what can you say? She's just really an amazing personality, a presence. Uh, she's she's very beautiful in this film, and I mean, this is really kind of peak Hepburn in some ways. I mean, and I don't want to make it sound like it's just about her youth and her beauty and her vivaciousness that 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 that, that makes her film well, worth watching here. But no, but you she's... really do. I, 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 my, you know, childhood experience of growing up and all of that was Catherine Hepburn in her later years. So I've always thought of her as an elderly yeah. woman actress. So it's really nice to see this side of, of her and even an Alice Adams, which <laughs> I'll say, if you found this movie annoying, uh, <laughs> I take saw the your clips. time with Alice, uh, with <laughs> Alice Adams. Yeah. It, it's, it it's, shows clips in the, in yeah, the George right. Stevens documentary. But, but you know, this is the, I, I agree with you. This isn't just about her beauty and youth. This is about her success. She, yeah. she has come around, um, in a way that very few people can do. She's, she's had a brilliant young career career and then had a few hard years where she was kind of uh, you know poisonous for the box office and then she hits Philadelphia story and and just kind of starts hitting hitting these th- I mean she she has arrived she's not going to go anywhere anymore I mean she'll have she'll have some movies that aren't as as big as others but this is this is her peak um you know career as well uh because she's just she's in control she's successful uh not enough control to change the outcome of the film but um, but still very very much in control of of her own career and and that comes across very well in the film. I know that it's it's pretty popularly cited, and I I can I can certainly agree with the fact that she did not uh, necessarily like the ending of the film, or or maybe felt disappointed in the direction that it took. Uh, what do you think about the possibility that Catherine Hepburn understood that? you know, in marketing herself as a personality, I don't want to say a product, but, you know, she had an image that she was playing off of. And she was, uh, in addition to being a a great presence on the screen, she was actually incredibly involved with the production of this film to the point where she, she got George Stevens, the job as, as partly, a, a kind of, a. uh, a favor from how he helped launch her career in Alice Adams, as well as their own kind of romantic involvement, nothing nearly as serious or as longstanding as her involvement with Spencer Tracy, but they did have an affair of of some duration that probably helped influence uh, Stephen's involvement in this role. She was also involved in getting Spencer Tracy himself cast. Uh, So she had a lot of clout with the studio. So she was an entrepreneur, a businesswoman uh, who, who made things happen. Uh, But, but what do you think about the idea that she also understood that in some ways she had to uh, allow herself to be taken down a notch in some respects in order to secure the kind of commercial popularity that maybe she was at risk of losing. I mean, I'm just kind of wondering how much she was maybe not complicit in the ending of the film uh, or how it was changed, but just in the sense that, you know, she did 
ultimately agree to take on aspects of a role that that put her in a bit of a a subjugated position uh, vis-a-vis her relationship with with the husband and uh you know she ultimately did, i mean she did film those scenes you know the, the scenes in that ending were her <laughs> on set doing what yeah, she they did didn't, they didn't computer so, generate her <laughs> <laughs> right, right so so she was part of that decision even if it wasn't originally well, her first choice i so what i read and i think it might have been in a new yorker article but I'm not 100% sure, but it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't just some blog post either um, where I would question it a little bit more. They had, they had written this film, you know, Ring Lardner, Lardner Jr., Jr., excuse me, and Michael Kanan had written the film completely differently, and they had filmed it. It was done. Yeah, it was yeah. a different film. And um, meanwhile, you know, the writers go off and do their, their next thing, um, and, and test audiences kind of hated the film and thought that uh, – you know, this isn't going anywhere. And so I, I looked at this as very much as a top-down push them into doing it um, kind of a situation where I'm not sure Catherine Hepburn did have as much of a choice. I think this may yeah. have been one where it was like, look, this is – and maybe, maybe you know, she could have just like, said, well, I'm not doing it. But I bet that the they film had doesn't some, get released or right, something. The film, right, the film's done then and you will have this dark spot on your career right after you've hit it kind of big – with the Philadelphia story, wouldn't that be a shame? I, I don't know any of the, the details there. I just know um, what they said was that she was pretty ticked off at the, uh, you know, the, the way the ending went. Um, the, the essay included with the Criterion says that um, Spencer Tracy seemed to be as well, but I haven't seen that anywhere else, so I'm, I'm not sure. He, he may have may have been I'm, I'm i'm really not sure but but the the ending is so it, it's it's so harsh that it doesn't really fit with the film that we've seen so far anyway it's so humiliating mm. that and, and silly as well i mean she can't cook she doesn't know how what an like she doesn't yeah, know how to the use egg a stove. Falls onto the counter yeah, and lands I mean, on her shoe. I mean, really, she is an intelligent person. She's not a <laughs> right. two-year-old, um, yeah. so that I, I find it all pretty ridiculous. Yeah, but it, I, it felt more like I a Three Stooges type of a it, ending, yeah, you know, with, the, yeah. with the coffee yep. burbling over and the toast flying in the air. It's just she just yeah. can't do this yeah. simple thing that you know her husband would just love. You know, she's coming in to, to make him breakfast and surprise him because. You know she's been gone, um, but but uh, everything I've heard says she was pretty ticked. So I'm not sure how you know how her relationship with the producer uh, is, is this in Joseph Minkowitz. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I think this may have been him just saying this is how it is. It's either in or out, and out would be terrible. Um, I, I I'd love to yeah. hear that story, but I don't know. But but I can also see. I think you're right that I can see her saying to herself, "Well, the test audiences did not like it. We we might need to take this down a notch." I've at least showed them a powerful woman. Let's, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's at least get that part out there. I'm I'm not sure though. That's a great question. What do you think about the before that ending and all of that comes in? There's the wedding scene. Uh, not not well. There's her wedding scene. You know when Tess and Sam get married, and it's a very dry civil ceremony. You know, I now pronounce you man and wife, and blah blah blah, and and sort of just kind of doing the deed. But then there's the later wedding ceremony where her her father and this other woman who's kind of brought her up sort of as a surrogate mother, they get married, and the preacher gives a very 
uh, kind of heartfelt, sentimental, traditional, uh, you know, account of what marriage is and that whole element of sacrifice and mutual submission. And, and uh, there's Catherine Hepburn with tears streaming down her cheeks as she's kind of cut to the core with this with this message of what, uh, you know, true matrimonial bliss uh, should be. Uh you know, I, I I think that is a scene that might be a little bit easy to overlook because the ending is does have that kind of jarring lampoonish element, and and as they said, you know, this was a uh, a sort of a score settler for not not just the men in the audience who maybe you know felt a little bit intimidated by this you know powerful superwoman, uh, but even for the women in the audience who maybe in some sense felt like I could never measure up to a Catherine Hepburn you know she's slim she's gorgeous she's super smart she's she's got, she's got everything going on and so in a sense having her fumble around in the kitchen is a bit of an equalizer and uh yeah i don't know i, I you know we obviously can't not really connect with original audiences of that time all we can do is watch it here and now and maybe read some well-informed essays of what the film has meant over the years to various audiences uh but this really is point, it, yeah but this is a, a great text for just where the country is at and and as we kind of go through our own you know, cultural upheavals and struggles with uh, making sense of the politics and the, you know, the, 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 the cultural trends of our own day, we recognize that uh, progress and, and equality and, and respect between the genders and the, between uh, social factions of all sorts uh, is, is, it's not a straight line. It's, it's pivots, it's reversals, it's regressions at times. And then learning lessons from each of those experiences and saying, okay, what's the new equation? Where do we go from here? And, and as, as, as I've really surveyed so much of the George Stevens filmography, I just see so many of these really fundamental issues being played out. Again, uh, Fred Astaire and Blackface doing the Bojangles dance in swing time. I mean, a lot of people really love that that film, and it's a wonderful film. Uh, Ginger Rogers is just so incredible, and, and I mean, the, the way they dance and the, the artistry, and yet you've got these really awful stumbling block scenes that, that come up, you know? And, uh, you know, Giant has its own kind of issues and, and problems and and yet you know I, I like where he's taking it but at the same time there's there's just some parts is like ah you just don't quite get, get it yet you know and of course it makes me you know introspect a little bit about what are my own blind spots or what are my own assumptions that probably will not stand the test of time oh certainly i was thinking about that even before we started recording i thought you know when i was a teenager Thing you know, I, I lived in a, in a society, and and I think at a different age where, you know, homosexuality was that was a punchline. It still kind of is. You know, you still have characters who are the fact that they're gay is the joke of the film or the mm-hmm. TV show, and but certainly was much more prevalent in the eighties and the nineties and looked down on, and. Uh, you know, certainly there are things just like that today that we're either still not over or we don't even know that we're overlooking or being insensitive to. Um, so so you're, you're right. It, it doesn't necessarily always pay to just dismiss the, one of these films and, and call it, you know, dangerous. 
it's much more right. it's much better to have these kind of conversations about them and realize where where we are now and maybe where the film made some missteps but but also where where it may have made some for some great strides i mean again tess harding is an admirable character in in the movie she's presented as 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 an object of desire for sam craig yeah and and and, and for the guys because of that exactly and for the guys who might identify with sam craig as this regular baseball loving sporty you know all-american guy he demonstrates that you don't have to be threatened by a woman with a college degree who can speak languages that you can't understand, who's traveled overseas, who has a mind of her own and, and a, an independent spirit. I mean, because obviously there are a lot of regular fellas who would just say, uh, you know, that dame is out of control or or she needs to, you know, be brought to heel or, or uh yeah, she needs a, a good man to put her in her place. I mean, those were very prevalent attitudes then and now and oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. in all the years in between. And so you do have that progressive sense that, you know, uh, admiring, loving, cherishing a woman with, with her, uh, you know, perhaps not so traditional approach to uh intimate relationships and, 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 and marriage, uh, can be a really wonderful thing. So, I mean, again, you know, the, the Sam Craig character is perhaps opening avenues of, of relationship possibilities that, uh, you know, a lot of guys might not have considered even acceptable, much less possible in that era. So yeah, that's, that's the, that's the bigger picture perspective, I guess. Yeah. And, and fortunately at the end, Sam Craig doesn't say, "Look, this is who you need to be." He's yeah, just—he's not he's saying, taunting or flaunting over her. Let's you still you still pursue these dreams. You still go and do these things. Just be mindful of me and some of the things that I am hoping for in this relationship. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. which which yeah, you know, you know, don't bring don't bring refugee boy home as, <laughs> yes. as our adopted son and then oh, trot geez, off I and forgot leave about me. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that was. That was an interesting portion of the movie, but but yeah. you know marriages do have to go through this. There's, there's certainly nothing wrong with a movie that that says, "Hey, look, both of you have got to to kind of get this figured out and realize where you can and cannot, you know, adapt and, and how you can still love each other even for the areas where oh, I wish that that had changed, um, but it's not going to." Um, and and where you can change yourself a little bit to to make sure it's working, you know this that that's not certainly not a problem with the movie, and and I think yeah. it explores that quite nicely, uh, particularly at the beginning when they're both just trying to understand how this is where they are trying to figure out how their careers can be um, somewhat compatible and how they can still have their their time together, and and still still make it so that they are giving to one another. Um, it just goes in some other directions that are much more yeah. prevalent, and, and definitely they're the ones that that are the aftertaste of the movie. But um, but there's some wonderful uh, stuff in the in the film as well. So can I backtrack just a little bit my statement sure. that I don't like this movie, <laughs> and, and and just say it, it's incredibly problematic as a movie itself. It, it has issues that I can't overlook. 
But man, I'm glad I have it. And oh I, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm so glad that we got it in this edition, and not, I didn't just watch it on you know TNT one night or something like that. Right? Or do they even show shows like this on TNT? Uh, uh, TCM, <laughs> I you know, TCM certainly. Yeah. When I when I said it, I meant TCM, but then I was sure, like, wait, sure. that's interesting. I thought that was only the Shawshank Redemption, um, but but uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad I got some of that context yeah. and an opportunity to sit down with it and and explore it a little bit. Um, but but again, I'll just say the best part of this release is is the the great documentaries and and even those felt a little bit like good old classic um, Americana. The George Stevens documentary, the way it begins, it feels mm-hmm. like just some good old Disney program I used to watch on Sunday nights. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> George Stevens in right, the background, right? right. Uh, you know all that. Well, he so, is. I mean, George Stevens himself. I mean, you, you know, again. Uh, you, you learn a fair amount about him in this film, but just look at him. He's kind of just a big kind of lunk of a guy. You know, uh, they, they called him the Indian. He may have had a little bit of Native American, uh, you know, heritage back in there. But he kind of a stoic guy, didn't say a whole lot, didn't make a personality of himself all, all the way that a John Ford or John Houston did in terms of their – you know, they're kind of, uh, you know, banter off screen and kind of their colorful quotations. George Stevens just set out to, to make movies and to let his movies do the talking for him. And, uh, you know, again, he, he's one of those uh, still waters run deep type of fellas. And then that is a certain American prototype of masculinity. And uh, it, it really did. It, it pulled me in quite a bit to really uh, understand and explore his filmography just because the notes that he hits, it's, it's, and it's not even the, I mean, the, you know, Giant has some pretty, you know, pretty vivid scenes. I, I got, I picked up the Blu-ray this weekend and my wife and I watched it over a couple of nights and, you know, pretty taken in by the, the saga of this Texas oil family and, you know, the big star performances of the three leads there. And, you know, it's, it is, it's just a big brawny soap opera of a film that ends again on a, a note of exploration and racial reconciliation as the old patriarch has to recognize that, you know, he has a a grandson uh, who, I guess, to use their language, is sort of a half breed. You know, he's he's partly Mexican, partly white, Caucasian, and and uh, he has to make room for his vision of what his family can be. And that's the note that, after all, you know, three plus hours, a giant ends on. And so, you know, again, it's like Stevens is is trying to, you know, open up some new perspectives for his audience in a film like that and yet there's a certain blinkeredness to it as well because it's kind of handled in a little bit of a of heavy-handed way and i guess you just have to recognize that this is this is the journey that our nation has had to go through and as you look back you know at least for me uh, i just sort of said man it just it just kind of sucks that we've had to go through these awkward halting stages of development and understanding but i guess it's just our history it's our past and we have to somehow reconcile ourselves to it and so with a film like woman of the year i find myself in a very similar place it's like it would have been nice to have that original ending preserved <laughs> so that we could compare the two and kind of extract the the different messages from each uh, but this is the one that 
you know, hit the theaters and, and won the public's admiration and spoke to its audiences in a way that I guess was maybe not absolutely necessary for the time, but it certainly was effective and it did create an impression and, and, uh, you know, everything kind of grew out of from there, but you know, George Stevens, I mean, what a, what a, just a, again, I just go back to that. Uh, I, I will also recommend very highly The More the Merrier. Uh, this is a film that came out the following year. Maybe I'll just digress a little bit here. Um, the reason I was really drawn to it is that it stars Joel McRae, uh, who was also involved in Sullivan's Travels, another sort of socially conscious, somewhat progressive comedy uh from 1942 it actually came out the week before woman of the year another criterion title that was recently or a while back released up on the blu-ray upgrade um uh, joel mccray's and the more the merrier and that's a very quintessential wartime tale about a woman uh gene arthur who opens up her apartment to support the housing crisis in Washington, D.C., you know, again, supporting the war effort. Joel McRae ends up moving in. They have a very, a very charming romantic liaison. But uh, that was George Stevens' last comedy. And uh, it's I, I may be available on disc. I got it on Amazon uh, streaming there. But really funny and really uh, another very interesting commentary on the whole gender relationship thing. So I'll just give a, that a very strong endorsement, very worth checking out. Uh, but yeah, just, just it really, this, this, this release really opened my eyes. There's a, a few other shorter interviews, uh, about, about the film, uh, some good background context of the making of and the, uh, the different personalities involved. So, uh, that to me, this is a very, very strong release and, and one that, uh, uh, as we've kind of talked about some of the maybe lighter supplements in the recent July announcements, uh, this is a very full package, maybe not quite as robust as uh, His Girl Friday, which was just you know packed to the gills. But you get everything you would need to know about this film is, is on this disc. Yep, I totally agree. And lots lots of it. These are these are long, long documentaries settling in. You know, yeah. uh, it's it's a disc that'll take a few days to go through, and it's very very enjoyable in the process. Uh, both both for the exploration, uh, somewhat for the memories, and um, you know, as as you're mentioning, for the avenues it's opening up for further discovery. Because I I, I don't I need to I need to revisit some of these George Stevens movies. I haven't seen a lot of them <laughs> for 20 years. Yeah, and yeah. and in fact, I most of them I saw 20 years or more ago. Right um, on, on, on small TVs, on I, a small I, TV yep. on VHS. I'm sure my grandma used to be a, a member of one of those. You know, get get your VHS um, <laughs> things, and sh- this, this is the kind of stuff she would order. I don't know sure. if she watched a ton, ton of it or or anything like that, but that's where I got most of these. Was um, borrowing them from from her. She lived she lived a block away. So you know, the, the all of this just kind of brings together so much of that. What what we love about movies, how they can provoke us. Yeah. And 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 these long long look at, at these long careers, um, and I think you've hit you hit hit a big part of it. The, these very American careers, you know, the, of Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn and George Stevens, that really track where we were in the 20th century and 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 uh, th- throughout, you know, through all those years. It's it's this is a, a wonderful thing, and I've. 
you know, I've, I've enjoyed this conversation a great deal. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Hey, uh, one, one last tip. I, I got a, a Blu-ray of the greatest story ever told on its way. It'll be here at my house in a couple days. <laughs> it's like eight and a half, eight and a half bucks on Amazon. So, uh, I'll wow. throw a little, little well, free plug in there. Yeah. Is giant. Is that one of those new, um, really beautiful, D, uh, blu-rays that i've been seeing you it's, start to collect is that one of well those? it uh, there is a digibook version out i didn't i couldn't oh, find that one I, it's I, not the one i'm thinking of then well hmm. no well there's a there's a three disc package uh, what i got it was a two disc which is a blu-ray and a dvd but apparently there's another edition out there with uh kind of the, the digibook format with a little kind of hardbound a booklet and the discs kind of digipacked in there with a multi-page insert. So I, uh, my local Barnes & Noble happened to have a copy of the two-disc the, the two Blu-ray edition, which is a gorgeous transfer. There's some nice supplemental features. I haven't really dug into it because I've just been watching the movies themselves. Uh, but the greatest story ever told, I, I am just really intrigued to see <laughs> Max as Jesus. <laughs> and, and it's, it's been a, it's too a, long for me, and I didn't even right. know who Max von Sydow was when I watched it. <laughs> exactly. And I'm just thinking, and, and, and of course, this was after he had been cast in some of the you know early 60s Bergman movies. Uh, he had not done some of the later stuff like The Emigrants in the New Land with the... Uh, John Troyle and, and all that, but the Exorcist, uh, yeah, the Exorcist, <laughs> exactly. But I mean, the the uh, the irony factor should be a little bit strong in that one there, I would imagine. But uh, you know, what I've heard is that the greatest story ever told is moves pretty pretty slow and and it's a little bit you know pageant like. But hey, I, I'm I'm I, down for it. <laughs> I used to love those kind of movies. I don't know why, but I did. I did. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Have you seen a place in the sun yet? Uh, no, I another, have not. I need you know, to. I got, need to find that one. Yeah. Oh, well, Montgomery I mean, Montgomery oh, Clift and Elizabeth Taylor and oh, um, gender yeah. roles all over the place. And um, yes, yeah, yes, it's it's a good one. I like. Well, it a lot. and it it does make me wonder if more George Stevens might be on the way. I think a place in the sun sounds like it would be a perfect. I don't think there's a it, good definitive sounds, edition out there yeah I, i've even seen not i don't want to spread rumors because these are probably right. unsubstantiated but i've seen people kind of speculate that it might be one that's coming i would certainly welcome it yeah yeah like i said we said that uh, this is to date the only george stevens film and i can understand because of the star power of so many of his releases why you know the studios are holding on to that one i think warner's uh warner brothers uh, giant is a warner brothers release but uh yeah yeah I, there's there's some real treasures there and so a lot of the uh 1930s stuff that stevens did the comedies are are pretty obscure but uh really look very intriguing and and, and very much worth seeking out so uh yeah i am certainly not done with with my pursuit of George Stevens, and I certainly hope Criterion can put another edition or two of, of this same depth and quality out there for for those of us who are eager to learn more. Yeah, I hear you. I second that. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've pretty much reached the conclusion of our uh, discussion here tonight. So uh, anything final you want to wrap up there, Trevor? Are we we pretty much ready to go? I'm hearing some I, chatter I, in the background there. Uh, yeah, the kids went outside and started playing in the yard right next to my open window because it's it's warm here in Utah. Yes, uh, so yeah, you can hear spring them quite is well, here. I think, right now. Excellent. Well, that's good. Well, you we'll let you get back to it. So, uh, thank you for tuning in, listeners. Uh, we've got some fun stuff on the way. Trevor and I are going to be getting into our next Eclipse series with the post-war Kurosawa set uh, coming up very soon. I have a 
uh, a guest spot uh, discussing uh, modern times, uh, the Charlie Chaplin classic on FlixWise podcast coming up next week. Uh, you had any other stuff you want to plug there, Trevor? Uh, anything coming up uh, on your end of things? Well, a lot of them are with you, um, yes, but as far yes. as Criterion stuff, the 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 May we're in May, you know, the big month of May that yeah. unfortunately is a little bit diminished since Othello isn't coming out. Right, but we do have uh, the that World Cinema uh, box set coming. At yes, the end I've, of the month. I'm starting to see some so, reviews coming out there. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've got. They've told me one of those is on its way to me eventually. Whenever they send out finished copies, so hopefully here in a, in a week or two, I'll I'll start digging in there. So I, I will be reviewing that one and Jean Dillman. and uh, what's the other one? There's another one that I'm getting. Oh, Good morning. Deepan. Oh, no. Deepan. Okay, yeah. Deepan. So okay. those are the three I'm getting from them this month to to review. I haven't. None of them are in hand yet, but um, should start trickling in. So that's that's where I'll be spending um, my May moments of Criterion uh, reviewing. And I'm excited that that World Cinema box set, the first one I loved, but this one, this one looks absolutely tremendous. I've only seen uh, one of the films in it, and it, it's not even the one I'm. That is big. It's 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 revenge. That that's the only one I've seen. The others look so much more important. <laughs> yeah, no, that <laughs> and, looks and like big, a really mind blowing collection. And so. uh-huh. uh, yeah, mysterious object at noon. So yeah, very exciting. Uh, Taipei story. My goodness. Yeah. So we'll be digging into a lot of things. Oh, I look forward to seeing what you have to say about that. So, okay, folks, we will let you go. Thank you for tuning in to Criterion Cast. We will see you all real soon. So thanks for listening and. Bye-bye for now. Ladies and gentlemen, we now come to the moment we've all been waiting for. The presentation of this year's award to Tess Harding. Sam Craig, wherever you are, listen, you son of a bitch. Listen to that. This gracious, well-known public figure we've admired for so long. Sam Craig. Wherever you are, you arrogant, ill-tempered, brutish, insensitive, chauvinist son of a bitch, listen to that. It's my night, Sammy, all mine, Sammy, and you can't give it your well-known whammy.